0: what's up everybody welcome to study hall episode five can't believe we've made it this long i'm trevor denton with jimmy goodman jordan hunter daniel halpern um how you guys doing you guys doing all right
1: just uh looking forward to tomorrow's big game exciting times for usc football
0: yeah man we're gonna dive into that uh big time huge game there um even if the playoff probably isn't gonna watch it but it's okay we're gonna watch it anyways Um, But let's start off with a segment we started last week. It's called Joseph's Judgment. We need a way to keep this podcast accountable because Lord knows uh, we throw out some pretty terrible takes and if no one's going to hold us accountable, we're just going to keep doing it. So let's hear from Joseph right now with Joseph's Judgment. All right. Number one, uh, coming for you, Jordan, off the bat. Jordan, I feel like you don't get any of the smoke. Everybody else, you know, you're a nice guy, but Joseph's coming right after you. I'll take it. I'll take it. He's, he's coming after you You said that guy Jordan is delusional about the Patriots. what did you say about the Patriots last week? And how do you respond to Joseph?
2: So this was right before we were about to play the Rams on Thursday night football. And I was, you know, I said we just got to win out and we will need some help from other teams from, from uh, namely the Dolphins and the, and the Ravens. And the reason I thought we could have done it is because we'd beaten the, we'd beaten the Ravens before uh, we beat the, we beat the Cardinals. So we could, we were on a little streak, and the Patriots had played, you know, two, half, two separate halves of the season, bad in the beginning, and then started to look good. And I thought we could possibly do it in L.A. You know, we'd stayed in L.A. The weather was going to be nice, and we just got completely obliterated. And it just, show, it just really reminded me of how bad we are this year and how, how much Cam Newton really angers me every week because he says, you know, I need to be better, I need to be better, and he just isn't each and every week he just isn't better and I don't know at this point why Bill is still going with him when the season looks lost at this point because Cam threw a pick six when we were driving got stopped on fourth down wasn't making good throws and throws a lot of ducks so I'll take that one Joseph Um, but I'm gonna try to stay off of his list next time
0: all right, there you go. There you go. A good goal to have. You know who's never going to stay off of Joseph Joseph's list is Jimmy. I think that's the best take so far because there's no way he's going to stay off of it. Let's, let's go ahead and hear what Joseph had to say about Jimmy this week. He said, the worst take by far in a 42 minute and 35 second podcast was Jimmy defending Greg Williams thought process and blitzing then trying to rationalize, rationalize it as a taking mood, tanking mood From the Jets brass, he wouldn't have been fired the next day if it was a call from the Jets brass front office's tank, but players and coaches don't. These are all Joseph's words. Everyone from Gates to the rest of the coaching staff to the players are auditioning for their next job, and Jimmy is a big, dumb idiot. Jimmy, let's hear from you, the big, dumb idiot. Well, while
3: I I, I won't argue with his claim that I'm a big, dumb idiot, I will take offense to his claim that this wasn't uh, anything more than a tanking move it's clear that you can't be in the nfl as long as Ray williams was without something you know feeling a little fishy about that kind of situation um so i mean honestly at the end of the day i am the big dumb idiot i'll wear that badge proudly uh the podcast needs a big dumb idiot it's important you know in our ecosystem uh but that being said i, I don't exactly take kindly to joseph who could just sit on so comfortably on the sidelines and not have to risk it like i do every single week
0: Hey, man, you know who's not a big, dumb idiot, according to Joseph? Me and Dan. This is his final Joseph's judgment. I'm not even making this up. He said, Trevor and Dan had a good episode. And I feel like just a good week overall for our friendship, Dan. Like, a good podcast for both of us. Do you want to elaborate on anything more that happened with us this
1: week? I'm waiting for some some Hanukkah gifts in the mail. And what do I (laughs) see? But... A nice little baby yoda comes in the mail said from tea time i got my little baby yoda ready to go for the season finale of the mandalorian when we're taping it it comes up tonight thank you very much trevor very uh, a very cute little problem anytime
0: Uh, jordan and uh, jimmy your fruit baskets are in the mail if you know what i
1: mean i don't want to know i don't want to i did say i I, I called trevor immediately i called trevor immediately after i i got the box and i was like dude is this an edible arrangement that i should be worried to open Uh, I I was a little scared that he took the end of last week's episode a little too uh, liberally and sent uh, Jordan's nasty gift out. (laughs) Well, I'm not the one. I don't make the fruit baskets, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we do know someone who may
0: or may not have made a fruit basket uh, during Monday Night Football. His name is Lamar Jackson, and it's the talk everywhere. Um, All over Twitter, everyone just immediately jumped to the fact that, you know, he, he had some cramps, left the game. Trace McSorley went in. Um, But I don't know. There might have been a a trace of something on Lamar Jackson's britches um, in the locker room. What do you guys think about this? Because, I mean, he, you know, um, let let me just start off by saying, you know, I I am an on-air personality. I don't know if you guys know this. I'm currently looking for representation. Um, You know, I'm on TV quite a lot. And um, every time I'm about to go on air, you know, I always have to poop. And so I could relate to the little jog that he was doing because, you know, I always reach that point where it's like 20 minutes before and I'm like, I, I, I need to go. I have enough, I have just enough time, but I'm going to need to do like a little trot and get myself moving. So I definitely relate to Lamar Jackson in that moment. But like, what do you guys think? Let's let's get our minds uh, into Lamar Jackson and, and just, uh, you know, do you guys think he he took a crap or, or do you really believe that it was it was cramps? Like he says, we'll start with you, Jimmy, since you're the Ravens guy and you've taken the most of the uh, crap so far on this podcast. Go ahead.
3: Uh, that's very accurate and very well put. Thank you. I would say that, you know, my personal experience was that we were going full television forensics uh, as it was happening, his mysterious disappearance. uh, And then, you know, we're going through Twitter, we're getting all this feedback, whatever. But all I'm going to say is that he returned immediately to the field the moment that Trace Sorley was injured, right? So that, that means that he was ready to go at any time. It was almost just like personal preference that he wasn't out there. Uh, and then he sees tracer Charlieley, maybe like Tara's ACL, and he's like, "Well, I think I might have to get on back onto the field." Um and additionally, you know we we looked and we saw that there was, you know some gauze where he would have had the IVs and all of this stuff. But that being said, it was one of the most suspect things I've ever seen in a football game, bar none. Uh, it, it, we were thinking, well, maybe I guess he would have pooped himself in his in his uniform, right? And then he would have to go through the process of changing back out or whatnot. It was truly one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Uh, I'm still convinced, you know, Trace McSorley could have gotten it done. But thank God, you know, Lamar came back and, you know, just ran up the score, you know. He just dropped a couple on a Yeah, you know, on, one of the on other
0: quarterbacks, Robert Griffin III, but I feel like, you know, Lamar Jackson should add the second to his name because I definitely think he did a number two. But, like, what are your guys' thoughts, Jordan, Jordan, Dan? What do you guys think,
2: man? With with, with what you guys – so going into it, I thought he for sure was going to the bathroom. But you guys just talked, and I'm thinking, you know, as Jimmy was talking about, he came out, you know, right when Trace got injured. With these type of bathroom situations, the the type that Lamar had, you can't really rush it. This isn't something usually that you can just on a dime, get up, wipe, and you're out. And we're assuming he had an official with him right outside the stall and, you know, yo, Trace is hurt. You got to come. <laughs> so that's even more heroics to get up, get your get your uniform back on and get out there at the exact timing. So it, it, it could have been a cramp now that I think about it, because you can't really rush those things. So off the field and on the field, You know, good timing by the Ravens, just everyone, you know, communicating on Lamar, you know, if he's in the bathroom, get out quick. You don't, you may not have time for the second, third, fourth wipe. I was convinced earlier that he was in the bathroom, but I I don't know, because you can't really rush those type of things.
3: And we talk about it all the time. It's about quarterback, coach, and team fit. And if you're not feeling comfortable in that situation, carrying that kind of load, It's difficult. It's difficult to have a team run properly, have all your systems run smoothly. You know, there can be a lot of backup.
1: (laughs) I believe Lamar Jackson took two craps and one of them was on my hopes and dreams of winning a fantasy football championship. Uh, Jimmy and I played in the first round of the playoffs and everything was going swimmingly for me. Uh, It was, I, I went into the game thinking I'm not gonna win this. Started with Justin Tucker, 10 point lead. Jimmy had Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown and things started to look up. And especially when Lamar's laxatives hit and he needed to to run to the bathroom, things started looking like, wow, I could actually pull the upset, beat Jimmy, move on to the next round and, you know, maybe make a run. And everybody hates my team in this league. And I just really wanted to prove the haters wrong. And then, Trace McSorley gets hurt and I just want to say it was a bad football decision by Lamar Jackson to throw the touchdown pass to Hollywood Brown and ruin my my fantasy aspirations because if you really think about it it's fourth and five they're in long field goal range it would have been a 59 yarder and Lamar Jackson rolls out on fourth and five and easily can run for the first down at that point they could have run out the clock and kick the field goal from closer Uh, not giving the Browns a shot. Uh, Instead, Lamar Jackson decides to very idiotically throw a touchdown pass, and they they go up, the Browns get the ball, they tie it up, and then, of course, I need to watch Justin Tucker kick a 50-plus yarder, I think it was 55 yards at the end of the game, to then give me extra points and just get me even that much closer to Jimmy, but know that I'm not going to be able to come back. It It was really a tough loss. Daniel's tears,
3: they just nourish me. They're exactly what I needed. You know, I've been going through finals and those, you know, like pre-finals weeks assignments where it's like, hey, why don't we just put all the assignments at the same time? And to just see that beautiful moment, via text, but beautiful moment in which Daniel's heart broke was just, well, you know, you think it's not, it couldn't get better than a 47-42, which, by the way, Scorigami, we can all celebrate. Um, victory for your beloved Ravens over a rival uh, Browns. But to see Daniel get essentially uh, shattered by the process was, I mean, it's everything a boy could ever
1: dream of. The last thing I will say is if Lamar Jackson takes 30 more seconds to just keep wiping his butt, he doesn't come back out for that play. They kick the field goal. They make it, I win. If he misses it, I would still win. Just inexplicable by Lamar Jackson scoring a touchdown. It's bad football. He's a hero. He's 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 the Avenger that they've been missing he's a hero that's
0: what the Avengers did they took really long poops and and came out and saved the day after we need like a Charmin sponsorship for Lamar Jackson also you know Hollywood Brown should be the nickname of that entire game because it was movie like and we all know what Lamar Jackson did in that bathroom all right we're going to take a quick break right now then we'll be back with some USC football lots to discuss in that regard Pac-12 title college football playoff ranking signing day so much to discuss we're going to take a quick break gather our breath maybe go Take a dump. I really don't know. Can't speak for the other guys. That might be what I do. But we'll be right back. All right, welcome back, everybody, to episode five of Study Hall. Once again, Trevor Denton, Daniel Halpern, uh, Jordan Hunter, and Jimmy Goodman. All right, guys. Massive week for USC. Massively disappointing week for USC. Um, obviously. Um, Really one of the most incredible games I've ever seen, period, let alone by the Trojans. I mean, the resiliency that they showed going down um, with 52 seconds left, seemed like a game-winning field goal by UCLA. Then to drive down the field with with, with three plays, I mean, goosebumps. This team is resilient. Say whatever you want. Um, They are definitely resilient, Um, stone-faced in in, in the midst of pressure, ended up coming up with a win against UCLA. And what was the reward? Getting um, shafted by the by the college football playoff rankings, listed behind uh, a bunch of two lost teams, Iowa State, Florida, Florida barely dropped. So enough for me, guys. Um, we'll start with you, Daniel. But what is your reaction to this news from the college football playoff committee?
1: I thought it was completely disgusting. I think it's a disgrace to the whole system altogether. I think it's just another sign that w- we're done with this system and it does not work because it's it's not fair to the players. I think that I I realize that they they had these close games but in my mind i think a comeback should count just as much as uh that however large the comeback was plus the margin of victory so uh in, in this case with uh usc they were down 18 at one point uh and add uh five to that it should be a 23 point victory i think that that's how you should look at this jordan shaking his head a little bit no definitely not why not i i think it shows
2: good, it's good teams good teams shouldn't Okay, I mean, yeah, you look at – there are teams in in sports that always come back, but you should – if you're a team that should be in the college playoff or close enough, you shouldn't be getting down to teams like UCLA, getting down to teams like Arizona State, Arizona. You should be in the game or winning the whole time because that's what a dominant team does for the most part. And USC did it over and over and over. I love USC and I love the way they play, but they – you can't expect the committee to go easy on you when you're coming back from – teams that you should be beating or or playing with the whole time i just don't it, it doesn't make sense to me
1: i think there's a slight allure to a, a cardiac kids type squad i think it makes for great television it keeps uh audiences always involved even when you, I, i'm not saying that they should be playing alabama because spoiler alert they're not going to come back against alabama alabama is going to run them out of the gym and it's going to be off the field it's going to be horrible to watch. That's not going to be good television. I'm not saying that they should have like been moved up that far, but USC deserved to be a top 10 team. Some of these teams ahead of them. My biggest problem, and not a lot of people are talking about this, is Indiana. Indiana's best Indiana. thing on their resume is a loss to Ohio State. How does that make sense that a team whose best thing on their resume is losing to another team ahead of USC, which doesn't have a loss? It doesn't make any sense to me. I think USC should have been a couple spots higher because ultimately at this point, I don't even think it's possible unless absolute catastrophe happens like a Cincinnati and a Coastal Carolina loss. I think those are the only things that can actually get USC into the top 10 at this point point. and say what you will. Ending eleventh ranked overall versus tenth ranked overall, there's a big difference from being top ten and everything else. And I, everyone can say, "Oh, it's just one spot." I disagree. I think there's there's top ten and then there's everything else.
2: I, I mean, I think we can get to top ten. If I agree with Indiana one hundred percent, they haven't they haven't played anyone with the they played only team they played with a winning record was Ohio State. And if if we beat Oregon, I think we'll I think coastal and coastal wins will jump or coastal will go up. We'll go up. The loser of the Big 12 championship, if it's Oklahoma, I think will go down. Um, but I think we can get into the top 10. But yeah, Indiana shouldn't be 11 at all. Or we should—they should be whatever they they are. But we should be ahead of them because, like you said, their best their best game is a lo- is a seven point loss to Ohio State, um, where they were down, where they were down big in the third quarter. So I do agree with that. Um, but I think we just USC can only control what they can. We just have to go in and beat Oregon, and then you know we'll let the committee decide. But we just have to do our job, and that's that's win our games. Let's go six and zero, which is what we all thought USC would do
3: beginning of the season. No, I was just gonna say. I mean, I'm I'm totally on the train of of anti two loss teams. Uh, I think it it really like the fundamental difference even between double the sample size of the the five game season that USC has played in like a 10 game season that other teams have been able to get in. If you've lost two games by this point in time, especially if you're not playing like a ridiculous schedule, it just can't be argued anymore. So like teams like Iowa state, it's just completely mind boggling that they're being given this near doorstep to uh, the national uh, to the final four uh, mm-hmm. to the cultural playoff when They've really not done that much all year. I mean, they've gotten constantly, essentially, patted on the back for beating Texas, who whose constant resurgence into the top twenty-five is based wholly on the fact that they are Texas and not whatever their team is doing. Uh, and that's what, like literally one of their best wins of the season. Uh, and granted, they've of course had better, you know, wins than USC has, but I don't think that should really be arguable at this point because they've lost two games, one of those to a Sun belt team. Sure, that team's ranked, but it, it, the playoff has shown time and again that group of five wins hardly even matter, better yet group of five teams. Uh, so I am i can't understand how USC could possibly be, be behind a lot of these two lost teams, especially from the fact that it essentially assumes that those teams would, all things considered, have a better chance of making cultural playoff. And I'm not saying that USC should make it. And I think all those FBI things that are saying that they have a 50 or 38 or whatever percent chance are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone's going to you know, advocate for that. But I, what it really comes down to is the validity of the committee and their rankings, right? So realistically speaking for a Pac-12 team, uh, especially when USC's position, it's pretty simple. They get a New York Six Bowl uh, or nothing. And that's just a win in from the Pac-12 championship. And that's fine. And I think everyone's pretty much okay with that and internalize it but when you're trying to make the argument as the committee and say ohio state versus other teams or the coastal carolina's chanticleers versus these other teams right and you have these two lost teams that have done like hardly jack all year uh or at least really not that much at least compared to undefeated ball clubs like what's how can people possibly feel like your system is a valid way of finding playoff caliber teams or like a national champion? You know, it, it's 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 less about the results than it is about the process. It's truly a, a situation where the ends aren't the means aren't justifying the ends. It's, so
1: I, it's I wanna say the the best example of that is the discrepancy between Florida and Miami. Florida loses and they move down one spot, they lose at home to an unranked team whereas Miami loses to the now 15th-ranked North Carolina and gets booted down eight slots for that loss. It doesn't make sense. Like, there's no reason...
0: Yeah, and, and I totally get USC being faulted for their comeback wins. They haven't controlled the game. That's the big metric that they're using. That's what they claim the difference is between Ohio State and USC, despite both being 5-0, and is Ohio State pretty much hasn't been losing at, like, any point this season. But, like, you can't say that and then not punish teams for not being able to come back. Iowa State wasn't able to come back against Louisiana. They also weren't able to come back uh, – what was their other loss? What was Iowa State's other loss? Um,
1: Kansas, Kansas State, State or Oklahoma State? State? Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State.
0: Like, Iowa State got vaulted in because of a dominant win over five-win West Virginia, a team that I've watched every game of. Like, West Virginia, a fine, solid team. Maybe they would have gone seven and five in a normal year. But let's not act like that should vault you into, like, the top six conversation. I mean, it's ridiculous. Florida wasn't able to come back against LSU. I mean, maybe they would have been able to if it wasn't for someone tossing a shoe across the room. But still, they weren't able to complete that comeback. So why is USC being punished for winning games and other teams are, are, are being aren't being punished for losing them. And I, 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 you know, longtime college football fan, obviously, you know, watching the BCS era and back in the BCS era, you know, say whatever you will about it. It was a flawed system, whatever, but every week was a, a I, I tend to view every week of college football as a playoff and, and the way that works in my mind, the way it should work is if you have two losses and you're automatically eliminated and you're not a viable contender, USC should be ranked above those schools because there's no reason why. Like if, if Georgia, I'm a Georgia fan, so you know this, this means I'm not unbiased. If Georgia, Georgia has no chance at being in the playoff, nor should they be. They had two chances against Florida and Alabama and got cooked in both of them. To me, those are playoff losses. They're eliminated. So you should give USC the benefit of the doubt because they're undefeated at this point. You know what I'm saying? They should be ranked higher than the two lost teams. Two lost should automatically eliminate you. And I'm not just speaking for USC. I'm also speaking for Coastal Carolina that's played 11 games. They're like the only one that's played like a full season this year. I'm also speaking for Cincinnati 8-0. Um, I, I just don't understand this. Like Oklahoma is another one too. Like they weren't able to come back against Kansas State. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if they were able to come back with the committee, then be saying, oh man, they looked rough against Kansas State. They had to use a 17 point comeback in the fourth quarter. Are you kidding me? They lost by three and they're almost being vaulted for that. It makes no sense. Kansas State is gosh awful. I mean, that same Kansas State team that they lost to got cooked by West Virginia, like the same team that got cooked by Iowa State. I mean, the fact that the big 12 is even in this conversation is absolutely uh, absurd to me and USC should not be punished for winning games. I'm with you. I'm not saying they should be in the playoff. I don't think that would go very well, but they should be in the conversation. They should get the benefit of the doubt for being undefeated. Something has to be said for winning these games close to the wire. They've showed a heart that few teams in college football have shown all year long, the resiliency. I mean, to me, the defining moment of that game was just getting, Gary Bryant returning it like 62 yards and just the look. Tyler Vaughns gave them on the sideline. They were both stone cold. There was no emotion man. These guys are stone cold assassins especially in a season with no fans like these guys are just purely feeding off of each other. That's the only place that they're getting any any energy and they're thriving in the last two minutes of the game overcoming terrible coaching left and right and I think that they should be rewarded to that more to the tune of being the 13th ranked ranked team in the nation behind schools like Oklahoma uh, Georgia Florida that have already lost out. They have no viable chance at the college football playoff anymore and they, they just shouldn't be Above them. And also, Texas AM, I mean, seven and one, like, yeah, respectable. They also needed a comeback to win by four points against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, the Arizona of the SEC, a gosh awful team. I mean, Sarah Fuller has been their best player all year long. They <laughs> needed a comeback to beat them by four points, and then they got cooked by Alabama. No one in the nation wants to see them go against Alabama. We already saw what happened. You have to give teams like USC the benefit of the doubt that didn't play any of the top four teams. You have to give them the benefit of the doubt. You can't give teams the benefit of the doubt um, like Georgia and, and, and Texas A&M that already had their chance at the Kings. So that's that, those are
2: my thoughts. It's so hard. To, like Sports you talk about you know, staying perfect. And yeah, USC's played five games, but you mentioned Coastal Carolina, full basically a full season. And they didn't lose a single game. And unless yeah. you're playing a gauntlet schedule, week in, week out, if you lose, like you, Trevor said, you, sh- you shouldn't be in. You shouldn't be in. USC's yeah. played five games against not not the greatest teams, but they've won every single game. They haven't lost. They've, they've come back, whatever it is, but they've won every single game. And I do think that that, that should go a long way. Any yeah. team that, that can stay perfect, which is so hard to do in sports. You see it all the time with the NFL, teams that almost go 16-0, but they lose at some point, whether it's in the playoffs or the regular season. It's so hard to stay perfect and to stay that discipline for a whole season. And USC did it on a smaller scale, but Cincinnati and, and Coastal Carolina and Alabama have done it for the entire season. Alabama is going to be fine. But the other two teams, Cincinnati can go and play Tulsa, win convincingly, and end the season, what, 9-0 and not get in for – what for whatever reason because of Clemson or notre dame or whatever
0: yeah and and iowa state is, is really one of the interesting ones like w- the fact that they're six i think is probably the most egregious thing that i've seen from the committee um because i believe their best two wins are over uh number let me just pull up iowa State schedule i need to stop relying on on my, my best yeah, the texas best two wins are texas and oklahoma those are the best i think oklahoma was 10 i think texas was like 20 right um, like coastal Carolina has two wins, very comparable to that. They've beaten like the 17th team and the 23rd team. So similar type of wins, uh, but Iowa state has also that terrible loss to, to, um, to Louisiana. Like it, it, it just doesn't make any sense. There's no rhyme or reason why Iowa state um, should be that high up. I mean, there's, there's really no reason why they, they should be gone at this point. The fact that they're six, like, Holy crap. And Cincinnati dropped a spot um, from not playing a game. And Florida dropped the same amount for losing to LSU. I mean, LSU, man. I mean, LSU is terrible. Like I feel like in a full season, man, this could be like a four and eight, five and 17 reminds me of like that Auburn hangover team a couple of years after they won the national championship with Cam Newton. I mean, this is a really bad team. They've given up like 500 yards a game to Bo Bo Pelini Um, and, and Florida lost to them. And by the way, Georgia lost to Florida that lost to LSU. I mean, like Georgia didn't figure out their quarterback situation until like a week ago with JT Daniels. Like, why are they that high? And I'm a Georgia fan. So if I'm saying that, you know, I'm not being biased, but, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm baffled. I think this is the worst committee. Like normally, I think we talked about this before off camera, but normally like the Pac-12 eliminates itself. Like, like there's no reason for the, like the committee has never really screwed out the Pac-12. Like, let's be honest. Like there's never been a viable contender since 2016 with Washington, but this year they finally have one and they finally are screwing them out. Uh, uh, of any possible chance and i'm pissed about it man do you guys think usc should be campaigning more because this was a big topic uh on espn Keyshawn johnson trojan legend receiver was like ranting on mike bone um about how mike bone hasn't really been campaigning apparently mike bone was like complimenting ohio state's resume which was a little weird do you think that um both usc and the pac-12 with larry scott should be more forward facing right now trying to push usc more into the conversation jimmy
3: uh, well, uh, to your previous uh, topic, I was thinking, you know, at what point does the CFP become, you know, do they get pushed into one of two directions? One being expansion to teams, and at what point do people actually start looking at it and say, hey, I didn't hate the BCS compared to this? Um, but with regards to Mike Bone and Larry Scott, yeah, interesting responses. But re- with regards to Mike Bone and Larry Scott, uh, I mean, they're they're both absolutely... Uh, in a position where they're pretty accountable for it uh realistically mike bone isn't exactly in that position where i mean let's be honest he's only been uh ad for like what two years um at this point and he's coming from cincinnati it's not like he's someone who is like an absolute power player or has this big fancy background and like controlling college sports so like his voice isn't going to go to people in the CFP and be like hey like oh wow yeah we need to listen to Mike Bone like he's not like the Jerry Jones of college football you know what I mean uh and I think additionally Larry Scott is the complete antithesis of the Jerry Joneses of college football conference commissioners uh so it's it's hardly like USC could have like a, a worse situation in terms of power players trying to make their case um and I think that there's something to be said for someone like Larry Scott who has kind of come under fire with you know, the way in which he's allowed his teams more or less to cannibalize each other. And I say that in that, in this season, every single conference is rewriting the rule book. Let's not forget that, like, the Pac-12 and Big Ten came out to start of the season. We're like, we're not playing football. And then everyone else started playing football. Um, and the president might want to take some credit for it. But uh, they started playing. Like, they're, they're no stranger to the fact that things in this year are going to change on a second, second basis. And the PAC 12 hasn't been shy to reschedule games between teams that were screwed out of games by their former opponents being, you know, coveted out. So it, a lot of the blame does fall on him for not getting Colorado USC to happen. Right. Um, and I think in that way, it, it's kind of a difficult. And you can also look at the fact that they started so much later than even the big 10 did. Uh, there's a lot of weeks of football that have been just left on the table for various reasons um so is there more that they could have done yes i don't think it would have made the, the full difference but there's always more that uh larry's got more than Mike Brown, but both of them could have done uh
1: jimmy I, I liked your your first topics you were bringing up there about expanding the playoff as watching yesterday or two days ago paul feinbaum said that there's absolutely no reason to play the games if you're not in a power five school and that's like one of the saddest statements I've ever heard because it, it just discredits everything that a Cincinnati or a Coastal Carolina does. And if, you, if you're if you playing, the, the ultimate goal in college football is to get to the national championship the same way that in every every league, your, your singular goal is to get to the Super Bowl, to get to the World Series. What, whatever it is, if you're just not giving these teams the opportunity, then... Why, why are they playing? They should have their own playoff system. It's inexcusable that they're not even considered because Cincinnati really should be in. If, As uh, I think Trevor was saying, uh, if uh, Clemson loses again, Cincinnati should be the team that steps up. So I think that the playoff should be expanded. I think that you should have uh, eight teams. Uh, six teams could also work um, if you wanted to have two teams get a bye type thing. Uh, the the one and the two seed, and do it from there. But I think eight teams is a smart idea. You get one team from each uh, conference. So you get uh, all all the power five schools. You get your number one team from uh, the group of five teams. Uh, and then the the last two are just like wild card spots pretty much that anyone can get in. I think that that's more of an all-inclusive thing. And yeah, the the argument against expanding the playoff is that Alabama playing, whatever it would be like cincinnati or at this point maybe oklahoma or whatever it is would just route them so why why even play the game it's not it's not worth our time it's not worth anyone's time but i disagree because you need to give these teams the shot because if you're not giving them the shot why are they playing
0: yeah, and I, I shook my head when Jimmy said the thing about, you know, maybe going back to the BCS, not because I disagree with Jimmy, but it's just like I can't believe we're at this point, And I can't believe we're at this point mm-hmm. because – because the BCS, like if you look back, it didn't really like make that many mistakes. Most of the time they got the two best teams. But the biggest complaint about the BCS, right, was like you didn't give 12-0 TCU a chance. You didn't give 12-0 uh, Boise State a chance. So let's expand it to four, open it up to more teams. We've extended, expanded it to four. It's been opened up to no one. Even if you expanded it to eight right now, it's still not opened up to any group of five teams. You have Cincinnati at nine behind Iowa State. I mean, this is ridiculous, two lost Iowa State. So the bottom line is I like that idea now. I'm starting to warm up to it more. I used to be one of those guys that was like, Oh, they would just get dominated. But I mean, what, what kind of argument is that? Like on paper you would say Florida Gulf Coast is gonna get dominated by whoever they go against in the NCAA tournament right that's why you play the games that's why you have competition in the first place but I like your idea more so because take it out of humans hands man make it locked man get rid of these people making decisions like it's too arbitrary it's too subjective have five the five Power five teams get in like you said have a group of five team that way everything's slotted in there's no debate and then have wild card wild card decisions and then we could debate those to where blue in the face and get angry about about those because humans will be making the decisions, but I mean I, I just think it's ridiculous because you're right. I mean the BCS might be better, but like yeah, the reason why we expanded was to add more Group of Five teams, and that hasn't happened, and it doesn't look like we're anywhere close to seeing that happen with Cincinnati at nine behind teams that they should clearly be ahead of because of some weird like Power Five bias going on, and I I think it's a Power Four at this point. I mean I think Kirk Her- Herbstreit said it this year. I think it's fair to say. I mean of course some of that was due to the Pac-12 starting late, but. I mean, at this point, like I think this year could be crippling for the for the
2: future. I do see that the Pac-12 has dropped off a little bit in the last few years, especially with when you have teams from the Pac-12 making it the college football playoff. With Washington getting absolutely blown out when they made it, so it makes it seem as if the Pac-12 isn't as isn't as great as the other four conferences because you know the other four conferences the Bama's, the Georgias, the LSU's. Oklahoma's Ohio State's Clemson's um but I don't think you can just say that you know it's a power it's a power four in the Pac-12 because no, the Pac-12 still it's I think part of it in the power five sense is that teams are coming and teams are entertaining and the Pac-12 teams are entertaining for the most part they're going to put up points they're going to have the flash Oregon and USC you're going to have the flashy signings for the most part and so I, I think it's a little unfair to say it's it's powerful and you did mention that you know it was half half a season really for all of the Pac-12 if that if they even got to play four games so I think it's I think the Pac-12 is still one of the five best conferences they're just a little bit of a gap in between those first four and the ACC isn't that great either besides there, it's really just what Clemson and um, Notre Dame this year but really it's just Clemson every year maybe Virginia Tech
0: you know and I, and I feel like um you know I don't know why this committee in particular, it seems like this committee is just so protective of the power five. I think maybe that's just relationships that these guys have with the power five, but maybe in the future, like get a random, like Mac AD to be on the committee, get a random former player from like Toledo or something, make this thing a little more interesting. And, and I just feel like they're not, they're, they're protecting their own interests. And as far as the PAC 12, like, I I feel like the Pac-12 has this, like, terrible reputation, like they've gotten blown out in the playoff, but, like, have they really? I mean, they're one and two. Oregon beat Florida State, a team that was a defending national champion, by, like, 45. Jameis Winston threw, like, a million picks. Oregon looked amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and then they got blown out by Ohio State, which was a historically great Ohio State team. Really, not even historically great, but a historically great run with Ezekiel Elliott and Cardale Jones. I mean, they ran over Alabama. So like you can't really fault Oregon for that. They still beat the defending national champions by 40 and then Washington like I feel like put up like a pretty respectable performance uh, against Alabama, 24 to seven, their defense, like showed up. That was a team that USC beat that year. The conference that's really embarrassed themselves in this playoff more than anyone else is the freaking big 12. I mean, Oklahoma gets in there every year. We act like it's going to be different. I talk about my relationships a lot on the show, but you know, another relationship allegory, we go back in, we think it's going to be different this time. I, we think, you know, they're going to start playing defense and it never happens. Like they've had historically good quarterbacks in Kyler Murray doesn't matter they're still going to give up 50 points and let you know Alabama's running backs run all over them that's the conference that's really embarrassed themselves in the playoff on a year in and year out basis and what do we have we have Iowa State and Oklahoma in the top 10 I feel like there's just a disrespect from the Pac-12 that really comes from what they've done in the regular season and
3: not even in the postseason Jimmy yeah I I completely agree I I think that the Big 12 it's kind of it, I mean, everything screams money, right? so the the entire process just just screams a reorganization that was made in the interest of having two more championship caliber games. And then additionally, you know, they can kind of satiate uh, those bowl games as well as neutral site locations. Like everything about it is to create the Super Bowl of college football. Um, and it's not really about, you know what's actually the fairest way of determining a champion. Uh, because, I mean, none of those original kind of goals they set out for were really solved. Um, And I I bet there were a lot of people at the time who talked about it, but the conversation about two versus three has become the conversation about four versus five, right? And so on and so forth. Uh, And some people can see it as a slippery slope, but even I feel like some of the the pitch of the cultural play playoff at the beginning was something of like an upset situation. It's like how, like, even if you were picking completely fairly, about who you really think the top four teams in the nation are, how much of an upset is that really? Like a a four beating a one? Like it's not really that big a deal. You're not really creating that much parity in college football, nor are you, as seen clearly through practice, like giving much of a path to teams to make it uh, from lower conferences. Uh, And as a result, I mean, the the system feels broken. And I I think that a lot of people had the opportunity With these past rankings, as I said before, to point it as, as, you know, a a source, a primary source for the cultural playoffs being around a broken system.
0: Broken system for sure, but certainly not a broken system here. Um, study hall going strong, five episodes in. We're going to continue this a little preview of the Pac 12 title game with USC in Oregon. Because as much as we want to complain about where USC is and we're angry about that, still got some football left. Still an exciting team. We love this team. All right, we're going to continue right after this short break. Welcome back to study hall episode five. We're about to talk about the PAC 12 championship USC in Oregon, but you can't talk about that battle uh, without first talking about their battles on the recruiting trail signing day in the books. Pretty good class for USC, better class by Oregon. Um, but let's talk about USC, focus on USC. So guys, who is your favorite uh, signee from this 2021 class? We'll start with you, Jordan.
2: I watched, I mean, it's gotta be the quarterback who I think will lead USC into the future in Miller Moss. I watched his highlights before this. He was making big throws. He was bouncing off of the the D linemen who were trying to sack him, evading all these sacks, throwing it perfectly. And I think after Keaton after Keaton leaves after this next year to go to the draft, Miller is going to be the quarterback of the future. Lead USC back into greatness, back to dominating the Pac-12 every year like USC should. At least hope at least just the, not just the Pac-12 South, but the Pac-12 total. And I think he's got the confidence. I think he's going to be great for whoever the next coach is. Fingers crossed it's not Clay Helton in two years' time. Um, And I think he's going to be a great heir to King Keaton.
1: Jordan, I I think you're absolutely right. It is the quarterback of the group, but it's not Miller Moss. It's Jackson Dart, the guy from Utah. Uh, This past year alone, this past season, he had 4,691 yards, uh, 67 passing touchdowns to only four interceptions, On top of that, he was five yards short of 1,200 yards rushing, and he had 12 touchdowns. He can do everything. He's explosive. I realize the talent that he was going up against might not have been as strong, but you give this guy a couple years to sit. If Miller Moss stumbles, Jackson Dart, because Miller Moss is the guy going in for, for sure, but if he stumbles, you can bet your butt that Jackson Dart will be right on his heels, ready to take over and lead this team to glory, as you were saying.
3: Personally, I would say that my my love has to go to our next two sport athlete, Michael Trigg, out of the one and only Tampa, Florida, yeah, Carrollwood yeah. Day School, a place that I would used to go and lose in basketball games. And when I say lose, I mean watch my team lose while I sat on the bench. <laughs> uh, he has the capacity to do both. I mean, really, like it, I, what can we say that's been bad about the Drake London experience?
0: Another guy who's a beast uh, out of Tacoma, Washington, Julian Simon. I think he's going to be a lot of, you guys are are making a lot of great points. Maybe Julian Simon isn't the best player in this class, but I think he's the most important, especially when you lose Kyle EA and Ioteote to the transfer portal. I think Julian Simon's going to have to step up quick. Probably one of the few guys in this class that will take a starting role as a freshman. We need linebackers badly. One of the worst positions uh, in in really the past four years for USC, so I'm excited to see him. All right, enough about signing day, Um, exciting stuff there but let's get to usc oregon um so we originally thought usc was going to face washington washington was the rightful pac-12 north champion it ends up being oregon and is this a better or worse matchup for usc than we originally thought it was going to be against
2: the huskies i think it's 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 who everyone thought we were going to play beginning of the season and thought it was going to be come down to oregon usc pac-12 championship um I want USC to play Oregon because it, it may not be, it may be the worst matchup, but I think it'll show people a lot more. You know, Trevor, you, you've said the last few weeks, USC's really had a lot of camera time in terms of on TV a lot with that, the Sunday game, the, the, um, the early game as well. And I think us beating Oregon, because Oregon's, you know, such also storied program in the Pac 12 will go a long way. And if we beat them pretty handily, I think it'll mean a lot more. So it, people, got, we're going to have to give us some credit if we go out and beat Oregon, which I think we can. I think we can beat any, anyone in the Pac-12. I don't think it matters if it's Oregon or Washington. So I'm up for the challenge. And I think all the players are locked in. We, we saw it at the end of that um, UCLA game. And I think they, they're going to carry it into Friday night. Come in business as usual, win the game, wait for
1: the bowl. I disagree. I think Washington was the team that uh, we should have played. Oregon's the fourth, tied for the fourth best team in the Pac 12 behind uh, us and then CU and then Washington. And they're tied with like Stanford at three and two. And the thing that I'm looking for, though, in this matchup is a big win. Uh, and I don't think at this point, the committee would would care about who we play. They just want to see a dominant win from UST if they want to move us up. And we needed a big win. And Washington was just decimated by by COVID, by injuries, everything like that. And it would have been a field day for Keaton Slovis to just go pick apart that secondary, who I, I want to say in their last game was playing like, Fourth, fifth, sixth string guys, because they really just didn't have anyone available. It would have been a showing and it would have made people think twice about huh, maybe we should have had USC in this conversation. And now I think it's going to be a closer game against Oregon. Even after
3: National Sunday, it's a huge game for recruiting implications. Uh I made a, a pretty big fuss about it to do uh rant, if you will, last year on Twitter after Oregon won the Rose Bowl right in our backyard and said that they're absolutely winning the recruiting battle in California, not just even Southern California, Um, that better yet the entire West coast. uh, And that that was indicative of what was happening. So the Pac-12 championship on a Friday night, doesn't matter what time zone you're in. It's not the most attractive event. Let's, let's, let's be honest, but this still is a matchup that can easily be spun by recruiters on both sides, depending on the outcome. You know, this is a very easy way of saying, Hey, we at USC have righted the ship. We can beat Oregon. This is our conference. I mean, we're about to go to the New York Six Bowl, all that. Well, Oregon can with a win absolutely have the right to say that they're still the dominant team in this conference, right? So I, I think that this game, as much as anything is important for recruiting implications. Um, and I certainly would think that most of this year and most of the success of this year as a USC fan should be, you know, energy devoted towards that cause. That you know no matter your thoughts of clay helton us getting a new york six bowl bid would absolutely help our cause in the trail um and I, I think that this this game may be as important as a potential new york six bowl that we would play in in terms of our capacity to win those important battles
0: great points jimmy like you can't take back the west without beating the team that's been taken back the west from, from usc important on a macro level i, I think at first you know I thought that that this was a worse matchup for for USC on the field just with um, Washington. Everything you said, Dan, you know, I don't need to repeat everything. Depleted roster, giving up a lot of yards, especially in the running game Washington was this year. So maybe a better matchup for USC on the field. But then I remembered the ace in the hole, both on the recruiting trail, on the field and on the field. Dante Williams, quarterbacks coach and passing game coordinator, has been embedded in Mario Cristobal's system over there at Oregon for the past two years, and I read a quote from Todd Orlando saying that he's been feeding them all the information, like it's one thing to have maybe a former player come in, but a guy that was installing and teaching that system on a weekly basis, that's pretty huge to have that guy. It's very rare that you actually get someone like that in your conference to come over and help you with game planning, so I think Dante Williams um, is the difference in this one. i just going to jump into score predictions. I think Dante Williams and and USC just being a more um, just being a better team overall I think they're going to come out angry from last year um, literally like hearing uh, Oregon celebrate on their own field in the Coliseum I, th- I think they're going to come out angry use that game planning advantage and I think they're going to win by two touchdowns bold of me but I think USC wins by two touchdowns not their usual comeback victory but let's hear uh, score predictions from you fellas before we get out of here
2: I think it's also nice because usually the Pac-12 championship is usually supposed to be at Levi's stadium, or I think this year they are moving it to Vegas. So it's rare you get a Pac-12 championship at home, but I, you know, I mean, being five and O and being the best team, I think USC deserved it this specific year. Um, so I think that'll go a long way. There are no fans, but it's still nice being at the Collie um, for a game that should be neutral. So I'm going USC 31, Oregon
0: 24 there we go so far two for two on usc uh dan you got a you got an opposing viewpoint there
1: uh i'm I'm gonna stick with usc but i am not nearly as confident as you guys are i see a 34 31 victory maybe on a last second parker lewis field goal after he inexplicably misses a kick or two for no reason in the middle of the game uh I, I do want to say, though, that missing Veve is going to just kill this team because Oregon's defense is allowing 184.2 rush yards per game. We could have torn them up on the ground, and that's something that USC hasn't been able to do all year. Oregon is just – they're porous, and I, it would have been really fun. But we were saying it last week, I want to say, this could be the game where Carr steps up and he, he shows us a little bit of those, those freshman legs again because this could be his really last shot – Uh, outside of the bowl game to to show NFL teams that, hey, maybe it's worth taking a look at me. Bust. Bust indeed. Uh, Another thing that's going to (laughs) bust open are
3: those defenses on both sides. I'm predicting 48-44. USC will cover their uh, minus three spread, uh, and we might just get another scoregami in the mix. You know I'm always about scoregami. Uh, here on the podcast, so I'm going for a Scorigami possible score of 48-44. Be quite the
0: game. Uh, maybe that would boost the profile of the Pac 12. Who are we kidding? Nothing's going to boost the profile of the Pac 12, but hopefully, this podcast boosts the profile of the study hall. Great job, guys! I don't know what Joseph's even going to say this week. We came out firing, we came out money. I even like agreed with some stuff that Jimmy said. I only shook my head like four times, probably never going to happen again. But thanks, guys. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Five episodes deep of Study Hall. Man, I wish I could get some study hall right now. Any parting thoughts, words of wisdom? Um, concerns, screaming. A- a- anything- anyone got anything else?
2: A study Porky hall salad sounds great right now. Oh, get man, out of here, a study hall salad? salad. One of those. Eat some
1: onion sliders. Give me a chorizo mac. Oh, oh those chorizo chopper,
2: macs, yeah. the the pulled pork fries. Those, no, uh, those didn't sit well with my stomach. I was I would be Jordan's them off, off the
1: show. Jordan, Jordan, get, it, get a, a, study, getting
2: getting a, a
0: salad. Getting a salad from study hall is like getting a like a veggie burger from in and out it's just sacrilegious man. It's sacrilegious but i do appreciate the sentiment i miss study hall um miss hanging out with you guys but at least we get to do this podcast man that's too sappy cut that out dan cut that out uh we'll see you next week for episode six more joseph's judgments we'll have a lot to react
2: about uh with this usc game for sure but we'll see you next time